Hello and welcome. It's the Climate Bonds Cafe where we've teamed up with Bologna Europa to bring you all the previews, all the updates and all the reaction from COP28 in Dubai. The event was an absolute whirlwind and over a week on we're all still reeling. Negotiations took a, an unprecedented snag, leaving everyone in deadlock, but an agreement was finally reached to phase out fossil fuels. A highly controversial event that at one point looked set to prove many skeptics right. But it left many feeling a genuine sensation of optimism. Head over to our website, climatebonds.net or at climatebonds, where we've published our own reflections. But first, we want to hear from Bologna, who've not only been heavily invested in negotiations on the ground in Dubai, but were also integral to many of the show's updates. We've got a couple of conversations from on the ground. Let's hear, first of all, from Marta Lobisolo, interviewee on the show turned interviewer as she chats to our first guest shortly before the negotiations went chaotic. Thank you for, for being here with us today. Um, so maybe can you introduce yourself and tell us what you, why did you come to COP? So I'm Michael Bloss. I'm a legislator in the European Parliament from the German Green Party. I'm a climate spokesperson of the Greens and I come here um, to get uh, rid of fossil fuels. So what are your hopes for this COP? So this is the Fossil COP. Um, uh, oil boss is the, um, is the president of the conference. We are in an oil and gas producing country. So I hope to put the focus on how ridiculous it is that we cannot even agree to end fossil fuels while we are already at 1.2 degrees heading for 3 degrees. And do you think COP and the, and the COP framework is the right place uh, to be discussing this? And how do you think it should change? Well, it is um, a difficult um, space because it's very slow. However, we need to have progress on the international level, and that's sometimes how it is. But there can be changes. For instance, in the tobacco convention, tobacco lobbyists were banned from the conference. And I think we can also ban fossil lobbyists from the conference. I think it would speed up the negotiations and would help us achieve faster um, climate protection. What do you think is uh, a good outcome for this COP? Like, if you leave here happy, what, what needs to happen for you to leave from here happy? So the point is the presidency is pushing for tripling of renewables and doubling of energy efficiency. That's great, but without ending fossils, it's worth really little. I mean, if you're, you know, like if you eat very healthy, but you continue smoking, you die anyway of lung cancer. So we really need to agree globally that we need to end fossil fuels. If this would happen, I would be happy. So this was the backdrop. After the feeling of optimism at the end of negotiations, is everyone still feeling the buzz? Here's Ariane Giraneza, who appeared a little earlier on the show, like Marta, but now has turned interviewer. Let's meet today's guests for their reflections from Dubai. Hi, so today we're still at COP and I'm here with Halstein Havak, who is CEO of the Bellona Foundation, and Mark Preston Aragones, who is Senior Policy Manager. Firstly, could you shortly tell us what your role has been at COP? Mark, you first. 
Well, I've been uh, sent here to Dubai to try and track the negotiations at COP28. This year, mostly tracking the global stock take, the end of the global stock take. Thank you. And you, Halstein? I'm here um, as CEO to kind of provide uh, support to the team and ensure that we are, you know, what we do here is aligned with the overall strategy and positions of the entire foundation. Uh, and it gives us also an ability to kind of make snap decisions on the ground. Uh, further, I'm interested to see the long-term involvement of Bologna going further as well. So this is part of our planning for the next two years. Thank you. So, Mark, maybe let me start with you. What are the main issues that you followed uh, during COP uh, for Bellona and why? So, the main issues I was following are those which are most relevant to our work in the, at the European level. Um, given our, our presence in Norway, the EU level and in, in Germany, um, mostly looking at the mitigation work also following the language on the fossil fuels, um, you know, the, the phase out versus phase down, whether unabated, abated, uh, those kinds of questions. Also looking at the tripling of renewable energy. Um, in, in Brussels, I mostly work on carbon dioxide removal. So I was also interested in tracking how the negotiations are handling that topic, knowing that in the EU level, this is really sort of hitting um, a bit of a hype moment. Um, and I just wanted to follow that up here to make sure that we're still having a rather sane conversation around some of these topics. Um, and to also, you know, be inside the negotiations, inside, you know, following the what each country is saying, what the EU is saying, uh, what the various different groups are saying. Um, to make sure that we're also able to follow up on what the EU is saying here and uh, you know, bring it back to the EU level discussions and hold them accountable there as well. So yeah, that's uh, very interesting to see how these debates relate to the policy work that is being done in Brussels, certainly on CDR, as you said, Mark. But uh, Halstein, could you give us like a wider view? How do all these issues at COP relate to the day-to-day -day policy work that Bellona does? Well, first of all, we can say that um, for the Bellona Foundation as a whole, and since our inception in 1986, uh, we have been focusing on system solutions, you know, having the broad picture. What are the big solutions that actually make sense from a systems perspective? Um, it's all about value chains. It's about cooperation, uh, if it's possible, and, and avoiding unintended consequences. So this is definitely a place for us to have those high-level discussions. Further, what happens here and what happens in the UN system impacts regional and country and local uh, where we work. So for us to do useful climate change work in Norway or Germany or in the Netherlands or on EU level, you know, what happens here impacts those discussions even more than anything else we do. So that's important for us. It's a need for us to be able to make as much of an impact here as we can. But further to that, it's also important for our stakeholders and our collaboration, you know, organizations, um, in, you know, back home to have us 
here, understanding what happens, interpret what happened here, and what can happen over the next next years as well. So that's that's key to our position. Thank you. Um, Mark, you've been here since, uh, I think, half past the first week. Halstan, you've been here this uh, whole second week. This is not your first rodeo, both of you. So I wonder, is there something that has been a surprise? What has been the biggest surprise for both of you this COP? On my side, um, I'd say the biggest surprise, and this goes back to what I was mentioning earlier, the the work on carbon dioxide removal, the amount of events that happened in Sharm el-Sheikh, I think we could count on, on one or two hands. Uh, this year has been a completely different story, very much a proliferation of different events, both inside the blue zone and the green zone, out, just out and about in Dubai. There's been a massive increase in the interest in this topic. Um, oh, <coughs> sorry. Also, in the, within the negotiations, there was a, a specific work stream uh, looking at the the guidance on removals within Article 6.4, um, which um, I guess not so much a surprise. It wasn't the best guidance that could have been supplied. Uh, and I guess what we've seen at the moment is uh, a lot of disagreement on how to proceed from this. Um, so we don't have a final decision yet. Um, however, it's quite clear that the the role of removals remains contentious and there's a lot of work still to do to understand how it really does fit within our broader climate targets. And you, Holstein, what has been your biggest surprise this COP? I will be honest with you, uh, coming into this COP, being in the country that it is and being led by, you know, the people who lead it, we were very skeptical about the trajectory and the outcome of this when it pertains to fossil interests and the absolutely necessary kind of goals to phase out the fossil fuel age, the use of fossil fuels and fossil energy. Um, so it was heartening to see, and I was surprised by the level of ambition that we saw the first part of the COP and, and also the first text that came out. Also, of course, you know, suitably disappointed about what came out on, on Monday. Um, but I think what we see here and what I observe compared to, you know, the cops going back in time is a surge in countries and coalitions that realize the necessity to have strong wording around this and also push for ambitious goals related to fossil fuel abatement, fossil fuel uh, emissions reduction and the phase out of fossil fuels in general. So hopefully, whether we reach that goal here or not this year, hopefully that momentum is going to carry us into the next two years as well, which gives me, you know, actually a level of optimism. That's uh, very positive, Halstein. I mean, we're so close at the end of COP28. Um, there has been decided that COP29 will be in Baku, Azerbaijan, and COP30 uh, in Brazil. What What do you think is going to happen next after this, after this global stock take? What opportunities are there? I would say, seen from our perspective, you know, these... Um, this, these discussions we've had over the last week on wording around, you know, uh, cutting fossil emissions and, and phasing out of fossil energy and fossil fuels uh, is somewhere where we can contribute further. We have the solutions, we have the knowledge, 
uh, and we also have the systems knowledge on uh, on the energy system with you know where we can absolutely contribute to make an impact um, seeing further to Baku I think questions around climate finance the right financing schemes to incentivize the right solutions globally as well as regionally will come to the fore uh, and our current work and emerging work on climate finance in general um, is definitely something we want to bring to to that issue as well going in even further over the next two years as mark alluded to the question around carbon removals um, the right solutions for carbon removals the right accounting the right you know incentivization and financing on that will definitely explode we believe uh, and bringing that as a theme and our knowledge to to the cop and to these discussions will be of great importance as well outside that we've got you know broad knowledge and increased focus again on how to really be able to re enable renewable energy systems not only kind of energy solutions but really you know how to make those systems happen uh, we've got an emerging work on the bioeconomy questions and um, restoration of nature and 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 the nature-based solutions which will be interesting to at least focus on when we go towards COP in Brazil and two years as well. So we've got a lot of knowledge, a lot of know-how and good solutions to bring to the table here. And uh, we're just looking forward to the ability and opportunity for us to, to actually, you know, be more present. That is great. Before I let you guys go, because obviously there's still so much work to do and um, it's not over until it's over. Another subject that has been very important uh, during this COP and has been brought up a lot is, of course, the subject of climate justice. Bellona is like a European NGO that concentrates on European policy. Um, how would that factor, let's say, in Bellona's positioning? As a clear need here for developed countries to recognize that they will need to reduce their emissions faster than the rest of the world. Although we do need to press the developing countries to also work to cut their own emissions as well. Um, but there's also going to be a lot of need for the rich countries to start you know, providing the right financial instruments that can enable the developing world to cut its emissions, to increase energy access, but not with the wrong uh, energy sources. Make sure that they have, uh, they're building out renewable electricity, they're building out the infrastructure that goes along with that. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about um, the just transition, um, and I think you're probably best placed to, uh, to answer that question. Um, but... Uh, it's, it's really important, I think, for the developed countries to recognize that there is a principle in the Paris Agreement, the common but differentiated responsibility, that has come up consistently in the negotiations. And you know, as far as we can tell, it hasn't really been instrumentalized sufficiently um, in these discussions. So there's a lot of work still to do on that front. Um, but I would like to also get your take on that. Well, um, obviously, I've been following the uh, Just Transition Pathways work and the work on climate justice. And I think the biggest problem actually this COP has laid bare is 
the difference in definition that exists between uh, developed nations and developing nations. And until there's still this very big difference in definition, people are actually talking like not to each other, but just right next to each other. And that actually makes getting um, real change and getting a deal more difficult. But before we close up and uh, I finally release Mark and Halstein, I would want to know from you, Halstein, are there any like closing messages, thoughts that you would like to leave our listeners behind? Um, with the chance of, of sounding, you know, hopefully optimistic. I was in Paris in 2015. We were then steering, you know, on the path to um, a global temperature rise of three and a half degrees or 3.7 degrees, depending on you know, who you listen to. Um, at present, we are still steering towards a temperature increase with the current goals that are set in each country to uh, more than two degrees, closer to two and a half. But even if we've had subsequent COPs where, you know, the wording and the agreement isn't strong enough for us as an NGO or the you know, um, the climate positive community to say this, this is good. Uh, we have actually made vast improvements. Um, so having these conversations and basically getting the, all of the world to agree on something, um, it's incredibly hard, uh, but it's absolutely worth the, uh, the work and the effort we're putting in here. So in that sense, you know, if we weren't, Optimists at heart would probably choose a different um, different uh, career, um, but it is actually of vital importance that we use these arenas to, you know, push the world in the right direction. So, in that sense, I'm actually hopeful. You know, with all the adversaries we have, I'm actually hopeful that we over you know now and over the next two years will get somewhere for real. Oh, a bumper episode today to finish off the COP episodes. We had Marta, Michael, Ariana, Mark and Halstein there. Great interviews. And once again, a big thank you to Bologna for bringing us such a bevy of fantastic guests on the ground. At an event like COP, we swap the studios and the quiet spaces for often busy pavilions and, and grabbing speakers in a hotel lobby, basically whenever they have a spare 20 minutes. Make sure you check out Bologna Europa on their social media. As for us, we're at Climate Bonds. Spotify is the place for all our podcasts. Thank you for tuning in for our final thoughts on a chaotic, momentous COP. Mm-hmm.